Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Wherever you find us, whether it's a video or podcast on your favorite platform, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. You can also find us on major social media platforms. If you go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com, you can find links to the videos or MP3 files, which you can download and enjoy without commercial interruptions. If you're into classic horror, ghost, and adventure stories, I narrate Nightshade Diary, and you can find links at NightshadeDiary.com. If scary stories are your bag, and listening to encounters with cryptids, ghost, dogmen, and other weird creatures sends a shiver up your spine, then go to SupernaturalStoryTime.com for links to our weekly podcasts. Noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird can be found at eerie.news or visit the Stranger Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Please subscribe to my newsletter on Substack. Just go to mppelliser.com for a link. I want to thank you for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good? Getting used to (laughs) filling out the date 2023? Yeah, I have to catch myself a few times. Yeah, that January, telling you, it's like 2023. Anyway, uh, everything is good here. Having some cold weather, even in North Florida. But it's expected, what can I say? Um, but being the weather wimp that I am, you know, for me, it's a, it's a big deal. It's like, yep. And, uh, and of course, um, I've had people ask me, what happened to... The New, Year, New Year's Day resolution video. And I started thinking about it. Besides the fact that I've been really busy, I said, you know what? I already did the New Year's resolution. I said, I'm going to do the after when people are about to crash and burn, you know, after you already made your New Year's resolution. And now all of a sudden you start the first hiccups, you know, of uh, the resolution before. Well, as a matter of fact, before you crash and burn. burn so I'm going to do that. As in, I was thinking about it. And it's maybe a better way to address, you know, things that from your perspective might seem coincidental. There's no way this is manipulated by me. It's just a coincidence or circumstances. And to explain exactly how your subconscious mind is makes sabotage, personal sabotage look like coincidence, you know, with the timing, things like that, uh, which, of course, it's over a period of time before you know it. The, the news resolution, whatever it was that you made to do or not do certain things, all of a sudden fall by the wayside little by little. And, you know, and of course, all of this is usually to ease the conscience of like, well, after I invested all that money in the gym membership or, oh, well, after I bought that clothes or the this or the, you know, whatever the case might be. Uh, no, yeah, I couldn't, it couldn't be helped. It couldn't be helped. It's not my fault. So, yeah, I'm going to do a video on that. You know, to move past that and to salvage your New Year's resolution. But anyway, let's get on to the good part. And the good part is who we have as a guest tonight. This is the first time that she's been here on Stories of the Supernatural. Her name is Shetan Noir, and she is a Michigan-based author and journalist. She's a cryptozoology researcher and has spent 25 years researching the paranormal and cryptozoology fields. Her fascination began with lake monsters at an early age when she first learned about the Loch Ness Monster, then hearing report of lake monsters monsters in her own state of Michigan. Her research has since grown to include Michigan's own dogman and Nain Rouge, Bigfoot, and ghost hunting. 
Shatan has written many books titled Mothman and Other Flying Creatures of the Midwest and Lake Monsters and Odd Creatures of the Great Lakes. She also writes articles for various magazines and websites. She is currently the lead investigator for the Michigan chapter of the North American Dogman Project and also runs the paranormal investigation team of Michigan's Center for Unexplained Events and Phenomena. Help me welcome her today. How are you doing today, Shatan? Hi, I am doing great. And thank you for having me on the show this evening. No, on the contrary, it's my pleasure. So what was it, what was the book or that, that inspired that fascination with Lake Monsters when you were a kid? You know, I believe it was actually um, seeing a TV um, episode on the Loch Ness Monster and uh, not to age myself, but, um, right. you know, back during the times of like the bionic or the million dollar man and uh, yes. Uh, MacGyver and stuff like that. Every once uh-huh. in a while, there would be this interesting show where they, you know, it would be, you know, something to do with the paranormal or yes. Bigfoot or something like that. Usually around the Halloween season, you know, yes. um, just to pique everybody's interest. And I was always very drawn to those shows. And then as I got a little bit older, um, and, you know, back at that time, everything paranormal or, um, cryptozoology, UFO was all under the label, umbrella label of new age. So yes, you're you know, right. You're you, right. You know, you'd go to the bookstore and there'd be one book with like a different yeah. chapter on each subject and it would come out like, you know, maybe once a year exactly. and you read it thoroughly and you'd like add that to your little collection. And then, you know, fate magazine came out and, and it was like, Oh, Okay, that's yes. the jackpot for you know for any young teenager at that time wanting to learn more. So you'd patiently wait every month for your fate magazine and you'd read it. And nowadays it's like, oh, you want to know anything? Just go on the internet. And, oh, you know, of course. Now it's, it's like, it's like a, <laughs> yeah, this you know, the, the internet was so the death of the printed. Uh... Oh my gosh, you know. But back, you know, uh, uh, thirty-five years ago. Yes. It was like, eh, you know, you had your you had your Edgar Casey books, and mm. and then a few you know niche, um, yes. you know books on maybe like the subject of Bigfoot and Loch Ness monster or right. UFOs or stuff like that, and so it was hard to find the information. But if you did your due diligence, you know, and and went to the library or the bookstore every week. Yeah, you would only see stories once in a while if a newspaper ran, like you said, a certain story or a magazine, like, you know, but that was about it. So unless you caught at the right time, it's not like now. Mm -mm. So, yeah, that's that's what, you know, started my interest. And then from there, it was just a, you know, there's different pursuits of knowledge. And so like my, my older brother would be all about technology and now he's a computer science um, engineer uh, and software designer. And my younger brother, he is all about cars and mechanics. And for me, my pursuit of knowledge was the paranormal and the natural world of how, you know, species behave, how, um, you know, they interact with us as human beings. Um, for a long time, I trained dogs and I, I worked with dogs. So okay. that working knowledge of how canines behave and how other mammals, reptiles, amphibians behave 
gives me a, I think, a, a good standing point for how a cryptid creature of that classification, whether it's okay. Dogman or Bigfoot or a reptilian or lake monster, how they would behave in the natural environment, especially if they were trying to avoid human detection. Sure. But what kind of behaviors would they display? What kind of, you know, you know, um, techniques would they use to camouflage themselves? And so that just became a learning base for me. And it's been a lifelong pursuit of balancing the common sense with what information is out there and how I know natural occurring species behave versus cryptid species. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Because they might be related. Let's say if you look at dogmen, for example, or wolves, dogs, you know, yes. it's a canine, if you go on that. Um, and of course, you know, dogs are domesticated, but still there's, I yeah, guess, but, a, but a certain dogs, core kind of, I imagine, behavior. Right. And so dogs will naturally form a pack. And right. generally, even your domesticated dogs, yes. their human family is part of their pack. And yes. the dog actually should be the lowest man on the to totem pole but some people you know kind of oh, screw yeah. that up and you know their dog is the dominant one in the family but canine behavior is canine behavior so a pack mentality means that i as an individual do not have to work that hard to maintain a life right, meaning if, uh, if you work together with a the pack there's safety in numbers if a pack hunts generally they are more successful at a kill of a bigger animal and you know there's a a ability to travel around and at least be comfortable you know right. whether it's you know finding shelter together or the protection aspect or just having the food aspect but if you apply that mentality to the dogmen because you know that there's going to be alphas, you know that there's going to be betas, and then there's going to be your submissive underlings behind that. But every member of the pack is important because your, your healthy, strong adults are the ones who are going to carry the pack, but they need the older members of the pack who know where the, the, the good hunting grounds are or who can teach them a better hunting strategy than what they've, you know, been using or has experienced something in life where they can warn the others, hey, this is a human area and these humans have weapons. Let's avoid this area. Right. But you also have, you know, all of them teaching the younger ones how to behave and what, you know, the, the um, hierarchy of the pack is and what are good technologies and techniques to use when you're hunting or when you're communicating or when you're trying to behave like a, like a wolf and not look like a dog man, you know? So these right, are all exactly. important things that a whole pack will teach. Now I think with Bigfoots, you, you have adult females that live in a family group raising their young. And I think you have solitary males who kind of wander the territories and breed with all the different females. And I think that the males kind of stay out of each other's territory until one moves off into another territory and then they go back 
into that territory, breed with the females, and this gives a more diversified genetic. Right, right, yeah, because people don't realize that you, uh, yeah, you need to diversify your bloodlines so that. And and we do see this with we do see this in other primates of the females eventually will chase off a male so that they can get another male in mm-hmm. to have you know better livestock. Human beings are actually the only primates that are monogamous or try to be monogamous in their relationships. You know what? I and 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 you know this is something I read a while back, and it's and if, I will give it credit. And and again, you know, when you read something once, and I can't tell you mm-hmm. how accurate it is or what the source is, but this is what it said. And this was back like I think they did this. I want to say either 1950s, 1960s. It wasn't recent. In other words, so usually when, like you said, monogamy was more, you know. And they did a study of 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 a mom or couple that had four children, okay, and they found three of the children belonged to the husband or father, uh-huh. but they had a high percentage of a fourth child that was fathered by someone else. Yeah, unbeknownst, of yep. course, this is not like the father knew. Yep. Um, you know, but then you have to wonder how many how many other children that father. Um, you and, know, and what was really women. strange was it wasn't like the mother, she had like a one or twice encounter. In other words, like right. almost she f- had this child fathered by, a, I'm not sure, I'm sure she didn't extrapolate it that way, but it wasn't like she left and was with this other right. man and came back with, no, she like went and maybe had a fling, how's like, you know, the, the mailman, you know how you, you hear that prototypical yep. milkman, whatever. And Nobody was the wiser, you know, and of course you have to remember back then, you know, it's not like now DNA that you could do a paternity right. test. Yeah. But they found they were, they were amazed at, at the high percentage of that. There was this one child that had been fathered knowingly by, you know, but as far as the mom was concerned by a different father and it makes you think, okay, how much of this is what you were describing where, you know, there's a diversity in the, you know, is it nature versus whatever? Right. Versus, uh, you know, society, what society tells us is acceptable. Like you said, monogamy or. Right. And this is the thing from what I understand is that um, also this thing that uh, males are more prone to protect the young. That's their young. You understand their offspring. It is because so like with big cats. Right. Well, and even even house cats, what you will see is if you have a community of cats, the male who has sired that season's kittens will stay around to make sure his kittens Gross. grow to adulthood. Because if he gets killed or chased off by another tom, that tomcat will wait until or male lion will wait until the female is distracted and then just go kill the cubs. Cubs, yes, the right. They want their bloodline. They and want their genetics. And they will, they will kill them just, you know, but we see that with a lot of different animal species. Um, yes. Hippos are, are very aggressive with that. Um, horses can be aggressive with that. And yes. you know, for whatever reason, they can tell their, you know, what's their offspring and what isn't their offspring. Right. And so it's, you know, the, the poor moms, you have to be, you know, that much right, diligent. Right, but- more diligent people, people or they think have to, it's, uh, and i think that that us as being animals at, at the end of the day you know? yeah yeah <laughs> you know sometimes that that's why i'm saying that this 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 female or this mom this wife or whatever kept it on the download that she never yep. said you know 
yeah. this fourth child, which could have been a second or third, it's just one of the four, is not biologically right. yours, you know, for whatever reason. But yes, I know what you mean as far as um, the, the diversity. It's like an inner knowing, who knows, or it could have been a variety of reasons. Um, let me ask you there, it was, I know that it's really funny because before you would, like you said, before there was only Bigfoot. And, yeah. you know, since the Patterson film and the thing in the 70s. And I want to say Dogman, unless you tell me differently, is something more recent as far as the sightings. Well, it's so the Patterson and Giblin film, I believe that was filmed in the 60s. Was it the 60s? And then know. Linda Godfrey started getting these reports back in. The in 90s, and, right? Yes. And um, I think, or it could have been the 80s. Um, and she started getting these reports of what people were essentially calling a werewolf. And right. so when she went into, and I have to say, um, Linda Godfrey has since passed. We lost her yeah, um, I know back, she passed away. You know, back in November, which is a huge loss for not only the dogman uh, researchers community, but cryptozoology as a whole. She was instrumental in opening up so many doorways for female investigators um, and also bringing to light that, you know, these reports of the dog man were, um, you know, not just located in Elkhorn, Wisconsin. She was getting reports from all over the world, but essentially when she started getting these reports, she was, um, I believe the illustrator for the magazine. And they said, Hey, can somebody go cover the story? I... So she, she went out and covered it. So she goes to animal control and she's like, so what do you, what's your take on this? You know, she's uh, just thinking it's just going to be a one-time story. Yeah. And, and they, hand her, they hand her this two inch thick file in the back here. You know, it's labeled werewolf. And she's like, Oh, and literally that, you know, that took her um, into writing the books about it, becoming one of the, you know, well-known researchers for it. And so it's now that when people do have an encounter, because everybody who saw anything upright, you know, bipedal and large and hairy and scary running across the road, immediately thought it was Bigfoot. Right, exactly. Right. Because they didn't realize that there was other bipedal creatures out there that could run across the road. So now when we're interviewing people, we ask, you know, okay, give us a description of the creature. And, you know, we're waiting to hear those key elements. Well, it had pricked ears or it had ears standing on top of its head. Well, primates have very flat ears, like, uh, apes or you know like humans where you know it's very close to the head so you don't see ears on a bigfoot exactly. also they have a very human flat face whereas a dog man has a long snout also bigfoots do not have tails and their legs look very human-like um more nba you know basketball right. player like you know tall right. and thick um, whereas the dog man has a little bit more angulation to their legs, which does give them a speed advantage. But it should be noted that Bigfoot and dogmen can also go down on all fours and travel just as easily on all fours as they can on two legs as a bipedal. That's, yeah, I've heard of that. 
because everybody thinks that they just work, you know, walk bipedally, but I've heard that they can move fast on all fours. Yes. And it just depends on, I think, what kind of, you know, ground they are covering, what kind of, you know, surface they're, you know, covering and what they are doing, you know, are they picking fruit off the ground? And they, you know, they've just been down on their hands and knees and, hey, that's easier to move around. Are they, you know, cupping water to their mouth mm-hmm. when you startle them and they take off, you know, from a, a quadruped position? Or are they doing something even sneakier? And this is a behavior that I attribute with the dog man is some of our reports are that people have stopped to help what they think is an injured large dog. Oh, boy. When they get out of their cars and they're, they're trying to coax the dog to them, but the dog starts to limp off into a cornfield or into a woods, and, and the people follow them. Okay, this is like, let me tell you no. something. I of a horror movie. It's like, so, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, the, the key the part you know, of following if, them. If you don't want to be a, a prey item, you know, going yeah. into a trap, if something looks off with the dog, or they're larger yes. than, you know, a Malamute, yes. do not follow them. Uh, this is, you know, what I believe is starting to become a hunting strategy for them is... I wouldn't be surprised. Wouldn't that be... They, like- you know, they know when people drive up and down roads, you know, because the, you rarely see a dog man crossing the road. You'll see a Bigfoot. Right. Because they just don't care. But the dog men, I do believe, they, they <laughs> use human beings in automobiles in, in two different ways. One... They try to, you know, lure you into the woods as a hurt animal, mm-hmm. you know, limping along. And, of course, human beings want to help that animal, uh, you know. Uh, Scott, I, I, you know, I, let me tell you, it, I've seen enough uh, dog rescue people to know that there's a lot of them that will be like, oh, my God, it's a hurt animal. We get, we get reports every year of cars found alongside the road and the people are missing and they never find the people. Really, there oh are my God. See? reports about this, especially in more rural areas or yes. near large state parks or national forests. But we also, and this is this is a another interesting one is, have you ever stopped and thought why so many deer run out in front of traffic when yes. it's peak hours of traffic in the morning and in the afternoon? Yes, that, and that, they that. just kamikaze themselves across the road they get hit they get killed or they get injured significantly and limp into the woods and once the ambulance and the tow truck driver come and clean everything up and haul everything away well dog man knows where it can find its meal it's meal it's like it's, it's like either it's on the side like, of know, the road you know when you chase something over the side of a cliff while they chase it onto the road yep you know that's so, so interesting so I do believe that that is a new hunting strategy that they have developed within the last 20 years is they, they, you know, monitor the activity on the road of when cars are coming and going. Mm -hmm. And then they wait till the deer are in the area. And then they, you know, do a, a jump scare on one of the deer, make it bolt across the road, get hit by a car. Then they mark where the deer actually, you know, dies or, or falls away and they just go pick up their meal and 
to them, that's fast food. Let me tell you, this sounds like Jurassic Park, you know, the Velociraptor, they say she figures it out. <laughs> you know, that's like, you know, like they learn. This is like the same thing. Like some point, some, hey, wait a minute. You know, I've picked up a couple of days, because I have heard of people that have had sightings where they have found them eating uh, roadkill. Yes. That they see something on the side of the road. And then when they get closer, they realize what it is and it's eating the roadkill. And maybe at some point they're, like you said, they caught on like, well, wait a minute. Right. Car, car versus wild animal means something's getting a free food, that day, free food. you know, or, yes. or dinner. Um, right. And I tell everybody, you know, whether it's a dog man or, you know, a, do uh, a Bigfoot, you would think that as big as they people report them, you need to eat a lot to survive. In other words, they got to have consume X amount of food. All right. Especially proteins, I imagine. So in other words, they're always thinking about yes. how to eat. And, you know, and one eat. of the things that one of the, you know, people always ask me, well, is it possible for a Bigfoot or a dog man to be in my area? And my answer to that is, do you have any farms nearby? Because Cornfields or grain fields or any type of fruit or vegetable farms or orchards means deer, means rabbits, means turkeys. Right. Wherever you have those two components, a farm or an orchard that's producing a food source for deer or rabbits or turkeys means that this you know the circle of uh right of right life. they know that this is i'm going to follow my my my, my food source yeah. wherever so it goes the, to. the the deer the turkey the rabbits they they are always eating in the cornfields or the mm -hmm. orchard and so the you know bigfoot dogmen they follow them and they they just all they have to do is wait on the outskirts of of the cornfields or the you know, the orchards they don't really have to penetrate into it because eventually something's going to spook those deer or turkey or rabbits and they're going to run for yes. what they think is the safety uh, at the edge of the field. And just beyond that edge of the field is where the, the dog man or Bigfoots are going to be waiting to catch their prey. And now they have a well-fed, you know, basically for the, the Bigfoot and the dog man, deer, rabbit, and turkeys are livestock and, you know, are a plentiful meal that nobody's going to really notice if one or two go missing. Right. You know, every well, especially that type of, let me ask you in Michigan, the winters, do you see a difference as far as any reports of sightings? Like they might be migrating with their food source or does it stay constant? I think they do migrate. And I say that because here, like, well, this, this season, winter season, um, it's really weird because our grass is still green here. Really? We've, we've gotten a couple blasts of snow and gotten a couple of inches, but it melts within a day or so. Okay. And it's to the point where spring plants that should be coming up in like April, May are like, hey, we're ready to bud. And we're like, no, no, no. Stay in the ground. Stay in the ground. Stay right. in the ground. You're going you to get. Two, I've got tulips and daisies that are uh, lilies that are just like, hey, you know, yeah, we, it's, we it's like, no, you're going to die. Um, Right. You know, so, my, in other words, my, my lilac tree started uh, reblooming in November, and I'm like, this is not going to be good. Um, so, it's been a very weird, mild winter where the grass is still exposed. So, 
Right. Which you know, is... we got, when we got 40 to 50, you know, degree days, if the bugs do come back out of hibernation yes. and they're flying around. So the turkeys are eating them. The birds are eating them. Um, the deer have plentiful food stock with the grass and okay. the snow melt. They've got plenty of food and water. And so really they're not having that harsh of a, of a winter. So it's, right. it's, you know, it's, uh, believable that you know they haven't migrated this year because they haven't really seen the need to right of course they're they're driven by pursuit of food like all living things you know they they go where they can eat but when it's a harsher winter i Uh do think that they migrate to southern indiana southern ohio where your your temperatures aren't that extreme And unless it's a big blizzard that's going to cover the Midwest, they generally have access to, um, you know, food, water, shelters. Um, But we do get quite a few reports from farmers with old hay barns that they keep on finding animal carcasses inside the hay barns. Oh, boy. Can you imagine? And we know that it's not a bear, a cougar, or a wolf, or coyotes dragging it in there because we don't have that activity. But where we keep on getting these carcasses, and we know that the animals aren't going in there and dying. Something's bringing sure. them in and, and stockpiling them. them. So something's living in these old hay barns or old straw barns and is kind of using that as a living area. And in the spring, when, you know, the snow's gone and berries are becoming available, flowers and, and uh, you know, grasses are growing and that's bringing back in the deer and the rabbits and, and uh, so forth, then that's an opportunity for them to go back to uh, eating fast food instead of just, you know, uh freezer food you know well you know what I'm, i've always thought also that sometimes these reports that you see where they're coming close to more populated areas i'm thinking well you know what this could be maybe an older you know or an injured one that maybe can't hunt where it normally would you know the way it would so yeah. it kind of stays around where it, it could just eat easier whether it's taking even a farm animal because it's it needs to eat Right. And yeah, normally, it, for some reason, or maybe that, like you said, the winter is really harsh. And normally, you know, even even Bigfoot and uh, and uh, Dogman get old, as in. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but you know, I'm I'm certain that they know where to get food from. So you know, even if it's trash dumps. Exactly. You know, exactly. anywhere that the wildlife goes to eat. Bigfoot and Dogman will go too because one, free food, and sure. you know whether it's trash that humans have thrown out or it's the wildlife eating that trash. Still, a meal, a meal is a meal. Doesn't matter how you catch it. I don't care, especially. And, I think that some of these this, when you mentioned that, which I think is fascinating, that you said about these disappearances. You know, I'm sure you've heard of the the one in the national parks. Yep, the and, one ones. Yes. You know, people that inexplicably even experienced, whether they're hunters or hikers or people that supposedly are familiar with the outdoors, all of a sudden, inexplicably just disappear. 
Yep. Do you think that might be that they might be falling victim to either dogmen or because I know there's a lot of people out there that are, especially when it comes to Bigfoot, are very hesitant to consider that they might see humans as prey. Well, and that is, you know, one of the elements of it is human beings, we think of ourselves as the apex predators on this sure. planet. And it's very disturbing to us when we stop and consider there are other beings on this planet that look at humans like, yeah, Hello, exactly. who do you think you are? You know, especially when we, you know, we are in our elements when we're in our cars, when we are in our houses, or when we are in city, you know, environments. Mm -hmm. But you go out into the woods, you go out onto a great lake or into the ocean or onto a mountain or, you know, any of those situations where you are out of your element. Exactly. Get the mercy of everything and, because basically I think that even physically it's a tough environment to survive in. Right. You know, like right. So, you know, we, we might be the apex predators in our, self-imposed reality of, you know, yeah. our, our cars, our houses, you know, our daily jobs, you know, running in and out of, of stores, but you go five miles out into the wilderness where the wild things are. And suddenly the mountain lion doesn't care who you are. Absolutely. If you're hiking by yourself, you are food. Grizzly bear doesn't care. Polar bear doesn't care. Great white shark doesn't care. Orca doesn't care. Nope. No, they, they know, see no, crocodile alligators do not care if no. they see you and you are by yourself and they think that you are vulnerable and they are hungry. They will make a bid for you. And chances are you are not going to come back 100 percent. You know, when, when you said the great white, you know, that I and I, I understand the the. The reason, you know, how they say, oh, these great whites, they mistake humans for seals. And, it, and I know that they I, sometimes they say that so nobody goes off on a on a shark hunting expedition. Right. I personally think that they're not mistaking. They just see us as food. It's like it's a food human. They're not mistaking well, you for a seal. I think they want it. Just they're going to eat you. Well, so, you know, let, let's because let, one of the to me, one of the stupidities of humans is why on earth would you go out into the ocean in a black wetsuit yes. with fins on? Because guess what? Now you look like a seal. But you know Except what? They, found, they have found so many things, so many unusual, weird things in um, in the stomachs of sharks that you realize yeah. they eat everything. Oh, even yeah. Stuff that's inanimate. They, oh, yeah. and so, you know, and, and it's like, you know, why would you wear a black wetsuit? I think that should be illegal to wear black wetsuits. Wetsuits wet yes. should be color morphed or color designed to look like fish that are poisonous or venomous or, right. you That's know, you know, so that sharks are like, hey, nope. No, that one, that will kill you. We will leave that one alone. Blow but up. that black thing swimming over there, we're going to go for that. Um, yes. And it's not just the great whites. It's bull sharks. It's tiger sharks. Oh, no, it's bull yeah. sharks, yes. Yes, there's, there's a bunch so of the tiger sharks. Are, yeah. There's, there's so a, many different man-eating sharks man out there. That yes. it, it's, you know, 
Yes. You can't just blame it on the great whites or the bulls. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, they do it because, you know, let's face it, after Jaws, it's all downhill from there. Yeah. But yeah, no, and there's a lot of them in warmer waters where people frequent the beaches more often. Right. You know, that, uh, that, that, as a matter of fact, they're more aggressive. They've, they've been known more to attack human beings than the great white. Mm -hmm. so and and what, a, what a lot of people don't realize is bull sharks are one of the few species on earth that can live in fresh water for as long as they want to, which, so I, um, I, uh, cousin of mine um just came back from um uh his um platoon was stationed in australia for a couple of months and they literally told them so you know the safest place for you guys is on base where you are surrounded by you know concrete enclosures that can be swept out and shot back every day and you don't have to worry about anything poisoned but check your boots check your gear, check everything before you put it on because you never know what might crawl into your, you know, uniform or your boots and bite you. Um, if you go, you know, more than 50 miles away from like the towns, if you get bit or stung anything, chances are you are going to die before you get medical. Right, because out there it's some, yeah, that's, they, they've got population out there that's Oh yeah, they, they've got the top ten deadliest, deadliest everything's out there, and so you know it's just. And he was like, "Yeah," he's like, "We, you know, we were all excited to go there, and then they're like, then they're telling us, well, you have to be aware of this kind of spider and that kind of spider, and you know, this snake and this scorpion. <laughs> Don't pick up the cane toads because you know you'll get this stuff on your hands that's poisonous. Oh, if you go swimming, you know, be aware that we have like." You know, these 10 sharks that can kill you. Oh, and, you know, don't pick up any shellfish because if there's a blue ring octopus in the tide pool, it'll, you know, it'll, uh, uh, you know, bite or sting you and you'll die from that. Um, they're like, oh, and, you know, uh, don't mess with the kangaroos. They'll punch you in the face. Yeah, I know. People don't they're realize like, those uh, kangaroos can get aggressive. They're, they're like, you can't outrun, outrun the emus. Um, you know, and, and I'm like, so literally... Everything will kill you there. Even the platypus has a poisonous claw on it that, you know, they can, you know, dab you with and, uh, you know, hurt you with. And it's like, why does anybody go there? I don't, I don't see why anybody's yeah. like, you know, I'm going on vacation to Australia. It's like, really? Are you to yourself? Like, right, don't, don't like just go to the poppy like Sydney or something. Don't go out into the bush because I've heard that, that that's the last I'll see of you sometimes. As a matter of fact, yeah. I think that that Australia is mostly populated on the coastals on the coast. Yes. But uh, yep. on the interior, it's few and far between that you get people out yep. there because it's so harsh. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> it was like, okay, now that, the, that now that my excitement is like dissipated because my life is uh, basically in the balance every day. <laughs> He's like, he's like, well, we don't really worry about, you know, any like human, like, you know, terrorist activities or anything like that. Cause the, the natural, you know, species there are like, Something you know, will get you in the meantime, yeah. no, that's, uh, people don't realize that, that, that there's places, you know, I guess when you grow up there, it's different because you know, this is where you grew up but for somebody coming from an area where it's that that's not the norm. It's like, okay, like, let me get it. Like that's paranoia. All the time, wherever. <laughs> yeah. So let yeah, me ask you, 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 um, as far as, um, you, since are you still doing the work with the, um, 
with the North American Dogman Project as far as what people are contacting you for reports? Yes, I'm, I'm still the lead investigator for the state of Michigan. Okay. Um, so, but if anybody in Michigan has a sighting or an experience, they can contact me. I will warn you ahead of time that I do have you fill out a full questionnaire. Oh, people don't want to do that. Huh? Um, because I have gotten a lot of hoax reports over the years. And this is my one way um, of many that I weed out potential hoaxers is if you don't have the time and the due diligence to fill out a sure. questionnaire and have it make sense, then, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, call it a hoax and, you know, stamp it as that. Sure. Of course. Let me ask, do you see, because I've spoken to different people who have said that they've noticed a trend where there's um, an uptick in cryptid sightings and in UFO sightings. Have you found that? Yes, because what happened was when 2020 hit and COVID hit and we had all of the closed downs, humanity and humans basically went indoors. Yeah. And the wild world was like, oh, hey, where'd all the humans go? And for two years, they they kind of, you know, ventured out into the rest of the world. Okay. Kind of, you know, waiting and looking to see where are the humans. And then humans came back. We're, we're back outdoors. We're back, you know, traveling. We're back, you know, running around the countryside. And so now it's a, it's a readjustment for them of, okay, we had this time period where we were essentially, you know, in control of everything. Right. Exactly. And we could, we could access, you know, anything that we wanted to because humans weren't around for us to be suspicious or weary of, but now humans are coming back. So now they are still, I think, testing to see what areas they can go into without seeing any human activity or when are the humans there and when aren't the humans there. Sure. Because it used to be that people would only see things when they were out hiking or driving backcountry roads or, you know, lonely highways, and you would occasionally see something. And then in 2020 to 2022, uh, everything, you know, started yeah, becoming. It, it, it switched out. It's, yeah, everybody's yeah. activity, like you said, everybody, even everybody was working from home. Yeah. You know, Exactly. So it was like that. Even that traffic. Know, you, know, you only went out if you, you know, if you really needed to get groceries or essentials. Right. And so, you know, literally the humans disappeared and the animals came back out like, hey, is it safe to be an animal now? And we don't have to worry about that human predator. And it wasn't, you know, until, you know, this past year that people really started to get back out and started doing things again. and. Now the animals are kind of like in a flux where it's like, okay, um, are they back again? You know, are they going to leave? Or you know, is it safe for us to be here, or are we better going back to where we were? So it's you know, it's a learning experience for them too. No, I think that these animals, you know, you know, sometimes we're unaware of it because we, like you said, we live in our own little capsule of whatever, you know, my to-do list. I, I got to do this. Right. But in some, you know, especially like I imagine like what you're saying, whether it's urban, but more, more in the rural area, 
everything around us is always looking or reacting to what we do or don't do. Right. In some way, some way, shape or form, you know, whether like the farming or, you know, I mean, I've got chickens out here and, you know, the predators, they look at, when I say predators, I mean like coyotes and stuff like that. Everything bases like how easy are you going to make it for me to, you know, get something from you, but everything reacts to us in one way or the other. Um, Do you think, let me, well, that's the thing. I think a lot of people, um, I'm wondering if now that they're going, you know, I've heard of, I've heard of people saying that they've seen like dogmen like around their houses. And then, like you said, you see other reports of people seeing them only if they're going out like hiking or like on a very desolate rural road and then they'll see it. Um, Have you had stories like that of people seeing either Bigfoot or the dogman at their home or on their farm or somewhere like that? Well, usually when we do get reports that, you know, people have experienced activity around their home. Mm-hmm. One of the first things that, you know, we, we ask is, do you live on a farm or do you live near farms? Okay. Whether it is a, a, you know, uh, corn or grain or fruit or vegetable farm, or do you have livestock? Because okay. all of these things will draw in predators. Yes. And it will also draw in prey because, you know, it's not just the cows, the sheep, the goats, the horses out there that eat the the hay and the grain that's, you know, put on the ground. The deer are going to come eat it. The turkeys are going to come eat it. The rabbits will definitely eat it because that's a fast, easy meal. You know, you just have to wait till the herd, you know, moves away and then at night go in and salvage whatever you can. But as those things are coming in to eat, the predators are following them in to eat them. Have you had because I've heard of, I've heard of people that have either been hunting or hiking, and they've had either a sighting of a dogman in this case, and then they start saying that they start seeing it around where they live. Have you ever had that? In other words, no, because like- I've I've had a sighting of a bigfoot and a dogman, um, and but those were up in. So I live in Lower Michigan, and mm-hmm. my sighting, my bigfoot sighting, was up in Ely or no, Virginia, Minnesota. And okay. my dog sighting was in the QP. And I've never seen any activity around my house, but I do live close. I live within a half mile, quarter mile of, uh, a, of the town. So I wouldn't think that I would be seeing them um, right. where I live, but not too far from where I live um, in Pinckney, Michigan, there's a state park and people have called the police numerous times because they hear a, a scream or a howl going on in the woods and it's not a coyote, it's not a wolf and it's right. not a human being. So the, the police have been out there. Um, the BFRO have, you know, reports for the, the Pinckney wreck area. And that is a Bigfoot um, dogman you know, hotspot. They don't know which one it is, um, but, you know, there, there are reports of those two cryptids in that area, and that's about, I want to say, 25 miles from, from where I live. I mean, I've heard recordings of Bigfoot, you know, out in the, well, supposedly yeah. Bigfoot, and I'd be like, if I was camping and I heard this, it'd be like, it, it sounds, it doesn't sound, it sounds like if you were in a jungle, the, the, 
it sounds primate like without the, the Ohio call. I'm, I'm assuming without that being real long one. It's very. It's like I would be like that's not a that's not a known animal. And I've heard you know cougars and a lot of these animals sometimes mm-hmm. will make very unusual calls, even mating that people wig out. But it's like no, no, no. The, the vocalizations. It doesn't sound like an like a cat or coyote or anything like that. It's like I'd be like okay, I'm packing my stuff up and I'm leaving. That's how because, uh, you know, when you, if, if I heard something like that, I'd be like, I'm going to be on the short end of the stick on this. Yeah, yeah. it is. You know, it is because I, I go um, hiking um, throughout the year and I usually have my three small dogs with me when we, uh, okay. when I go hiking because they love to go hiking. And I do stick to um, well-used trails that are popular so that I know that I'm at least going to pass or talk to another human being within, you know, 10 minutes or so at a time. But it's easy to see where people, you know, get, um, you know, uh, lost in the woods. That was actually. Oh, don't worry. I have seven dogs, so. Okay. You hear weird stuff. It just so happens that everybody here is is passed out here, you know, close (laughs) But uh, my audience knows that every okay. once in a while you hear some weird noise and uh, that's okay. So, um, but, you know, it's easy to see where people, you know, on some of these trails now, um, for me, if I'm going to go hiking, I want to make sure that there's something on the trail worth going to look at, like a waterfall or a cool rock right. formation or something like that, you know, a cool, you know, growth forest. Um but, you know, some of these more rural, um, less traveled, you know, hiking trails, it's easy to see where if people, you know, walk 10 feet off the path to use the restroom or something like that, and they trip and they, they hurt themselves or they, they fall into a ravine or something like that, then, you know, you're looking at suddenly a worst case scenario. And even if they are, you know, able to navigate back to the trail sometimes they become so just you know oriented of which way they were going which way they were you know coming from they don't know which way they were yeah by going towards or away from where i was coming through and they they navigate back and well this doesn't look familiar so they take you know a different path and then they take a different path and so it's very important um when you are hiking to know the trails that you're going to take to map it out. And, you know, even most of these trails are available on your cell phone. So you can right. see, yep, I'm on the right trail. And I, you know, this is where I turn. Yeah, and thinking, but maybe there's, what if, what if you don't have coverage where you're at? You know, it's like right. one of the, and, and I've seen like, like, oh man. And, and I've heard, you know, I've read of people that go on these solo hiking trips and multi-day hiking trips. And it's like, you know, I'm no coward, but I'd be like, you know what? After after if I read 411 and, and hear these other stories, I'd be like, yeah, no, you know, that self-preservation thing is going to kick in for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's- yeah. Because of the, the 411 reports and um, there's a pod or there's a podcast on YouTube. I've just started watching it's, um what lurks beneath and what lurks beyond and what lurks above. Yeah. All this crap that happens in the state parks and national forces that they don't want you to know about. And I'm like, okay, 
now I have a new, you know, uh, uh, do I really want to call? And it's like, when I get out of my car, I make sure I have like, you know, a, a good working pocket knife, um, sure. you know, some, a small Compass. thing of bear spray, um, an air horn. I have my three dogs with me, which they will pick up on anything before I do. Um, and then, you know, there's things that I leave in my car, like a Ziploc bag with a pair of used socks in it, a right. map that, you know, shows where I have been, you know, right. you know, where I plan to go, um, yeah. a, you know, um, description of what kind of shoes I'm wearing or a, you know, impression of the tread of my shoe. Right. Yes. And that, because that all gives, you know, first responders, emergency workers, that gives them what they need to start the, the, the process. Something to work with, exactly. You know, yeah, when time is of, the essence. of what, what clothing I'm wearing that day. You know, for me, that's very easy because it's always something greenish blue or bluish green. My hair is, you know, <laughs> greenish blue or blue, you know. Uh, so, you know, these are all things that, right, that you know, you're when, like they, when they are looking for, you know, that missing person, it's fast and easy to rule out who isn't the, the missing person. Exactly. And these are all things that you can, you know, do to help, you know, writing sure. down your cell phone number. Yes. And that, you know, it's surprising that a lot of people don't do that or they don't tell anybody, Hey, I'm going to go out on that trail or whatever. And when this person doesn't turn up a few days later, everybody's like, did you hear, did you talk, did you know what they were going to do? Right. No, we don't No, Nobody knows anything. Right. And, um, you know, hopefully somebody will report, Hey, that car has been parked there at that right. trailhead for a few days. Yeah. And then it's like, man, you're, you're, you're like a few days behind the, you know, that's why if somebody needs help, like you said, if they got hurt uh, or mm -hmm. anything like that. Yeah. It's people sometimes I know don't think about that, but it's better pre-prepared than. Yeah. And, and I think if you're, if you're going to go out into the elements, whether it's hiking yes. or kayaking or scuba diving or whatever, I think it should become a, a practice that if you, you know, for both the people who do it and search and rescue people is make sure you have all this information inside your glove box. Yes. So that is, or underneath your, your front seat. So if you do go missing, they know to check there first to see if you left evidence uh -huh. of who you are, what you were wearing, your shoe pattern, um, you know, what trails or, you know, where you were, you know, going your, your length of time that you were expecting to spend out there and when you're coming back so that they know, they, they know whether, okay, this is an emergency or, okay, the person's only been gone an hour. Let's right. give it a little bit. So, you know, no, these are all things gonna, that you can do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw into the mix. I don't know if you've heard of it. Let's let, putting the dog, poor dog man in Bigfoot. Sometimes you have very unusual characters out there in some of these parks. Okay. Uh, people don't realize that you could run into whether it's uh, depends uh, if they're doing something illegal as in, you know, meth labs or growing pot that that's yeah. the bigger or just plain just just all you need is one person that been living off the grid and they're, they're a little bit, yeah. you know, un, they're, they're not too straight in their head. And they can be dangerous. Not all of them, but some of them can be, you know, if they run across you, like they're, 
they just, you, you could find yourself in a bad situation. Out right. There. And that's why it's, you know, it's important for, obviously everybody wants to do this for either exercise or recreation, but it's yeah. important that you do have it in your mind that not every human being that you come across is going yes. to be sane or yes. a normal human being. Yes. Because there's just as many serial killers that go out on the trails looking for people yes. as there is that people who are just going out bird watching. Sure. So it's important for you to have within easy access a form of self-defense, whether that's bear spray or a knife or an air horn or a hiking stick that you can, you know, defend yourself with or a dog, uh, you know, even a 40 pound dog can deliver a sizable bite and it, you know, you can train them to do a, a bluff growl or a okay. growl and snarl and give them, you know, just a command, you know, if the person right. starts becoming too interested in you, uh -huh. tell your dog react and have the dog start snarling and barking at the person because that other person does not know whether your dog is going to actually bite them or if your dog is, you know, just pulling back. My seven pound minpin, she does her due diligence. She is, <laughs> she thinks she's 150 pounds and she will go for you. Um, and, but her two babies are, are very docile and are like, we don't know why mommy wants to bite everyone. It's like, because mommy's trying to protect all of us. Um, know. you know, so, um, but then, you know, I've got, I've got the seven pound min pin who will kill everybody. And then yes. I've got a 130 pound master who's like, I'm just going to go back to bed. <laughs> it's like, yeah. but see, but people will probably see him and anybody with ill intentions, like, nah, right. I'll pass on this. You know, I don't yeah, want to find yeah, out. She's very sizable, and people are like, Yeah, we're going to walk on the other side of the path. And it's like, Yeah, good girl. So, just, you know, that impression of, you know, don't, you know, don't come close to me. I'm yes. here for my own recreation. I'm walking yes. my dog. I'm here, uh, you know, to, to enjoy myself. Keep your distance. Um, and, but you know, people, they want to be polite. They want to be, you know, they don't want to be termed a jerk or a bitch or anything like that. Right. So they, they indulge the person in conversation yes. and you don't realize that, that that's actually like opening the gate. Right. Now you got to give that, that, that thing is like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not here to have a conversation with you because that's right. what they're looking for, you know? And, 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 um, I've even heard, and this happened, uh, down in the South Florida back in the 70s, the 70s, where they had the guy, what he would do is he would deflate the tire in the parking lot of this big shopping center. This was back when, you know, the malls and shopping centers were a big deal. And he would deflate their tires. And when the, and of course he picked somebody, a woman that was by herself, mm -hmm. you yep. know, and when she would come back, she would find a car with a flat tire and he'd come and say, Hey, can, can I help you? Like the good Samaritan. And also this person, of course, he made sure that he was clean cut, non-threatening. My point being that sometimes, you know, you even in some of these trail parking lots, because I've heard of people, sometimes they're like maybe one or two other persons out there. There's right. not a lot of people in the parking area where sometimes they will do things to your vehicle, like a flat tire. Yep. Just to like, oh, you need some help? Don't worry. I can, I can, I can do, I can help you out, whatever. 
Like they, in other words, they manufacture the crisis so that they can step in. And, right. Yeah. So now that we've talked everybody out of going hiking, <laughs> <laughs> let me, you, you also wrote a book about Mothman and flying humanoids. How did you become interested in that? So, um, my, my first book that came out was the Lake Monster book. And okay. that was just because I had a, a, a love for Lake Monsters. And I was like, I'm finally going to write my Lake Monster book. And then about two years later, um, with talking with a uh, publisher that I knew, he wanted to get a Mothman book done. Okay. So I wrote, I did write that book and published it through his company. And since then, his company has kind of gone dormant. So I'm going to retake the um, writes the book and self-publish it myself, but okay, it it basically became um, like the next um, move up from the lake monsters was you know okay let's do the flying cryptids, so okay. it does it's not just on Mothman it's on all different types of flying cryptids, um, gargoyles and the snailygaster yes. and ropins or you know pterosaurs. Um, so all these different flying cryptids that people have seen all over the Midwest, um, you know, I have documented in the book and okay. have talked to eyewitnesses and gotten their reports. So they are all, you know, each creature is, a, is different, but, and the only thing they have in common is they've been seen flying. Right. And I mean, the reason why I ask is that, you know, everybody thinks of Mothman as Point Pleasant and, you know, West Virginia, mm -hmm. but there's been these sightings in the last couple of years out of, of all places, Chicago. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't really put too much stock into the Chicagoland Mothman um, because there seems to be one researcher who's benefiting from the eyewitness reports and okay. he will not allow any other researchers to talk to these eyewitnesses. All right. That's not good. Um, and so those of us who do fly encrypted reports kind of stay away from that one because it seems to be more for the benefit of one person than it is for the whole community of cryptozoology. Because, you know, and, and the thing is this, it's, it's, there's nothing I can think of in an urban setting that you could mistake. Like out here we have, where I live at, I have huge owls. Right. Okay. I'm not saying, but, in, in a certain, I can see where somebody could mistake it. It's huge. It, and I have big trees, like huge, like 500 year old trees outside. If that thing, you know, you see it flying in the darkness, you'd be like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> but there's nothing I can think of in Chicago that so, you could mistake. Yeah, and, and the funny thing about the, the Point Pleasant um, Mothman report is originally the biologists, you know, that they were bringing in were saying, oh, these are extraordinarily large sandhill cranes. Okay, so we right have, sand, like, where I live in Michigan, we have sandhill cranes everywhere. And I'm like, yes, they do look like aliens, especially when they're walking around the yard and they're, like, right. you know, they're blending in with their surroundings except for that red patch on the top of their head. And, like, but there's no way I would You're gonna mistake it. that with the Mothman. Exactly. You know, for one, exactly. they're, not, they're, they're tall, but they're very narrow. 
like you know there's no meat on these birds you know they, they're right, all right like, right right like yeah one thing all is like, like an all mac, you know <laughs> yeah even in bad lighting it's like you're not you're not going to mistake that for something right, else like right. a humanoid kind of creature or whatever you can't and that's when i hear about it i've heard it you know like around the uh chicago hare and uh and i was like man there's nothing out there that you could say it was this but i thought it was and i was like okay where does this come from because um unless it's the real thing but again it's like you know i've heard of people like um i guess i'm i'm not gonna say cryptos don't ever go into uh an urban setting but most of the times the most reports you will get it will be either rural or on the outskirts on the way on the outskirts of a city or town is where sometimes then you'll start getting some reports of cryptids whether it's flying or you know whatever on the ground but yeah 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 and and that's that's typically what i believe is you you know the cryptid creatures any creatures are live they live on the fringes of you know society meaning that they they live at our lawn's edge Mm -hmm. so wherever the wild parts are the woods the meadows the fields the rivers the streams the lakes those are the wild areas that's where creatures live yes and it's only occasionally um that we get you know glimpses like oh hey there's a raccoon in the backyard well mr raccoon's looking for the the the, uh trash can or oh hey there's a deer well you know, it's because you're feeding the songbirds and all that, sure. you know, sunflower seed that's falling on the ground. Well, they like to eat that too. I mean, so. I have the fattest squirrels in the land because <laughs> <laughs> everybody, everybody gets fat off my chicken feed because my, my chickens are free range. You know, I put them in at night, but they, so yeah. Oh yeah. And we, I'm telling you, it's like, oh, let's, yeah, the buffet, it's going on. Let's go. Yep. Yes. So I know what you mean. <laughs> yep. My um, my mom and dad feed the critters at their house, and it's like, oh, we've got deer out there, we've got a woodchuck, we've got squirrels, <laughs> we've got you know chipmunks, yep. we've got you know the birds. Occasionally, yes. a, a fox or a coyote shows up, you know, to take on those you know animals. So it's like you know, it's always like, oh, okay, you know, yes. what's happening uh, back in today. Yeah, it's uh because we you know we, we never waste anything even like you know leftover food because we have exotic birds too. Every, every you know somebody it's gonna get down the food chain. Somebody's right. gonna eat it out here. And let me ask you: when you were doing the book for the lake monsters, and I know you told me that as a child you were fascinated. Did you ever interview anybody that, when you were talking to them, you know, without you being there, that they truly believed that this is what they saw? So I, for my Lake Monster report, I focused mostly on historical reports. Okay. That were made in like the 1700s, 1800s, even early 1900s. Okay. Um, back before people, you know, even thought about hoaxing. Because yes. at in those time periods, I, what I usually say is my timestamp for reliable historical reports is pre PT Barnum. Yes. Before right. the circuses and the sideshows. Mm-hmm. So before PT Barnum, most people would not come into town or not go into the 
local courthouse or authorities and say, hey, there's a creature out in my field or um, I was just out pulling in my fishing nets and saw this huge monster because one, they'd either be called crazy or, you know, put in jail for the night for, you know, being a drunkard or, you know, something like that. Um, so if people were going to make these reports, it was genuinely because they were in fear for themselves, their family, their community, their livelihood, and wanted to make the rest of the town aware yes. of the potential possibility for a, a, you know, detriment to their lifestyles to be out there. And so that is generally when these reports would be made is, Hey, I was just, you know, canoeing from, you know, this port to that port. And this is what I saw 50 feet from my canoe. Right. And I just want everybody else to know, because if it's an animal that big, it can knock over people's canoes or, or boats and you're going to lose everything on your boat and probably, you know, drown. Exactly. Yeah. But so, and, and people don't realize back then, if you got the stigma of being a liar, that thing would follow you around. Right. Right. That's <laughs> forever. Yeah, yeah, years later. And move like a hundred miles away or 50 miles away. Yes, um, exactly. So, you know, generally people wanted to make the reports because they were in fear for their lives and mm -hmm. in fear for their community or their livelihood. And they wanted, you know, the, the whole town to know just in case something, you know, started happening right, and there was still wigged out that they'd be like come right. down here i want you to see it i want you to see what i saw or right you know. because generally that meant everybody was showing up with their pitchforks you know uh yeah, guns, exactly. you know uh you know anything that they could do damage to the creature with you know in hopes of you know fending it off so you know it was right. it, it wasn't really you know people didn't just make these reports to you know, get attention because that was like the last thing they wanted to do. Nowadays, everybody's like, oh, oh no. I've seen a ghost or I've seen a dog man or I've seen Bigfoot. And to me, it's like, it's, it's not normal if you haven't seen something like that in, right. in today's day and age. And people who deny that they're out there, it's like, oh, you've seen something. You just don't want to admit it. You know, you just, right. Well, you know what, there's, and, and, and I remember I interviewed this gentleman, he says, since passed on, his name was Jim Smith, and he ran the Alabama Bigfoot Society since like the 1970s. And he says that uh, he got to the point where people would see things like a run across the road, mm -hmm. and they would call the police, and the police would go like, what do you want us to do? So what the police would end up doing is they would take the people over to his place and say, look, we, there's, this is no criminal, but talk to this man, and you can tell him your story. And he told me, he goes, Marlene, I don't know what they saw, but I will tell you something. They, they, whatever they saw, they believed. Yeah. They were scared. He says they were truly frightened. And he said, I had a couple of people that even said, look, sir, can we stay here until daybreak? We don't want to travel back on the road at night. He says, I don't know what they saw, but what they saw, they believed that they had right. seen something that was not a bear, a deer, you know, any of the usual suspects. They were profoundly frightened. Yeah. yeah, and and that is something that law enforcement is just not trained to handle. <laughs> like, what do you want us to do? Well, like... what, what are they going to do against, like, you know, a ghost or, yeah. you know, a Bigfoot or a dogman? Uh, they might shoot at the Bigfoot or the dogman, right. but what are you going to do against a ghost? That's a whole nother realm of, 
yes. like, you know, paranormal authority that you have to, you know, get in yes. touch with and have that dealt with. And, you know, I have police, you know, I have friends who are police officers who do paranormal investigations. They mm -hmm. do reporting, and they're like, yeah, this stuff's out there. And, you know, but the norm is they don't want to acknowledge it. They don't want to talk about it because they are not trained in how to handle it. Right. No, I have heard of police getting reports of strange, you know, whether it's a poltergeist activity. We're, talk we're talking here in a controlled uh, environment, like a house, you yep. know, or in a building, not. And they've gone there and they've sometimes they've witnessed things like either pounding or certain yep. knockings and uh, that they don't they don't know what to do. Like, how do I handle? Right. Uh, there was one gentleman, he uh, w he wasn't a police officer any longer, but at one point he was talking about, as a rookie, they said that they had a family that was known for having a domestic violence incident. You know, so that when a call came in, it was like, oh, the, 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 that, you know, those people. Okay, that children and everything. They lived in a two-story home, and he says that as a rookie, he went with his training off, you know, two-man team. So they go out there. And he says they go in there and he says that they are, he says the parents and the kids were all sitting on the sofa with this look of like, like, like they're terrorized. And they say that they hear from upstairs, like arguing and somebody having a, like a fight, like multitude of people. Wow. And they're asking the father who's up there. And he's like, there's nobody up there. And the, 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 because he says he was observing. He was like the guy in the back and the guy's like, don't lie to me. Tell me who's up there because they're hearing all of this upstairs. And he ends up going upstairs. He tells the partner, stay here with them, you know, because in case we don't know what this is, but they were all sitting there on the sofa. Like, and he says that he went upstairs and he says that when he reached the top step, it's just stopped. It went right. to zero, nothing. Then it was like, okay, you know, somebody switches it off. Oh yeah. And he says he went up there with his gun drawn and he says he checked every inch up there. And he says there was nothing. And he came back down and it was like, he's like, there's nothing up there. There's nobody up there. There's no part of the high. I checked them. And he says that that family, like within a few couple of weeks, they moved away from the house. They moved. And that's not surprising in the least. And he says, like, how do you handle? And that they were, you know, in other words, it wasn't like uh, I was the only one that witnesses. They both were there, mm -hmm. but they couldn't. It's like, how do I? Well, I guess we'll just report what. <laughs> but, yeah, I've heard of police officers and first responders and people like that having. But like you said, they're not equipped to like besides being a witness to it. It's like, what else do you want me to do? Yeah, because their response would be, well, contact your local clergy. Sometimes you know? it can leave you high and dry. I hate to say that. Yeah. Um, sometimes it works out unless it, it all depends on the individual who's at the receiving end. Right. And, um, you know, because I, I mean, I, I, I was doing paranormal investigations since the 1990s and I came across people who they ended up doing that, you know, because I tell everybody back in when I started doing it, if anybody had strange noises, they would, they, they on their own, they would call the electrician, the plumber, the mm -hmm. handyman, the landlord, Anybody that they could think of, because they would always try to think, okay, it's a pipe, it's right. something. By the time they called in somebody on a spiritual angle, they had they were at their wit's end. Now, and I tell everybody nowadays, somebody hears a strange noise, and the whole family runs outside and sleeps in the car because, of course, it's a ghost. Nobody, nobody calls the electrician, you know, or the plumber, or whatever, the AC guy. 
anyway, um, the the thing is this that uh, the 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 as far as the the dynamics go, as far as the 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 paranormal and stuff like that. When it comes to how can I say, um, it's not an on demand thing. Like when you have even a police or anybody going there, you can't reproduce it on demand. You know, right. it, mm -hmm. you know, like the repairman, the TV repairman, it's fine until the repairman gets there and then it's fine. Right. Same thing. Um, and, and have you, you know, I know you do paranormal investigations. Have you run across any crazy incidents like that? I've had a couple of different ones. Um, and the two that stick out in my mind the most, one happened up in Mackinac City, which is the gateway to Mackinac Island. You have to okay. take a ferry from either Mackinac City or um, St. Ignace to get to Mackinac Island, which is huge tourist destination here in Michigan. So it was, geez, I want to say five years ago. It was way before COVID. Um, my mom had come back to Michigan to go to her high school's um, 50th golden graduation. I believe that wow. was the year, 50th. Um, so she had flown back, and I was going to drive her back up to Ely, Minnesota, with her German Shepherd and um, the rest of the stuff that she wanted to take up to Ely. And I had my little miniature pincher with me. And so we stopped in Mackinac City and she wanted to get fudge and uh, taffy and stuff like that. Mackinac City is known and Mackinac okay. Island is known for their fudge and their saltwater taffy. Those okay. are the two things that everybody has to get from there. So as she was doing that, this was June. And so I had my little miniature picture with me and I was walking around and um, we went to a couple little, you know, cutesy tchotchke stores and I got her a little turquoise sweater to match me and uh, her hiking harness and lead and collar were all teal. So there is one public bathroom at the one end, end of um, the strip of stores that is across from the ferries. So I went in there into the large bathroom stall okay. and had her with me. And then we left, got back on the road. So fast forward a couple months, and I'm actually stopping at Mackinac City from coming from my Paracon, the, one of the biggest paranormal conventions in the United States up in Sault Ste. Marie. And I had stopped in Mackinac City so that I could get um, my saltwater taffy and my fudge for my, my dad and my brothers. And I go into that same bathroom. Now, I do not have my dog with me at this time. Okay. Let's make that perfectly clear. And as I'm about to leave the stall, as my hand is on the latch to open up the door and walk out to wash my hands, a voice as clear as day says, what? No puppy this time? Whoa. It was so loud and clear. Then I started answering back. No, she's at home. Huh. Oh, my. And it, did it sound like a woman or a man's voice? That was the interesting thing. It really didn't register male or female. Okay. But it was a voice. And so I walked out of the bathroom stall to see if it, anybody else was in there. And 
every stall door was open. So I quickly walked outside. There was nobody anywhere, anywhere near the bathrooms. So I'm like, so my friend Todd Clemmings runs the paranormal tour, walking tour on Mackinac Island. So I see him at an event, a paranormal event, a couple uh -huh. of months later. And I'm like, Todd, let me tell you this. So he's like, well, it might be the ghost from there, here or there. And I'm like, Todd, that's not the point. The it's point the bathroom is, ghost. remembered me. And I remembered my little dog. He said, well, she is a really cute little dog. I said, no. I don't know. All the thousands of people who go through Mackinac City a day, it remembered and recognized me from early June to late August and interacted with me because I didn't have my little dog with me at that time. And what did he what did he say? He said, Well, yeah, they do that. And I'm like, what was the what was in the vicinity of the bathroom? The bathroom is actually it stands I want to say about thirty feet from the very last storefront on that side of the street. It's it's totally by itself. Freeze, it's not connected to anything. It's right on the corner of of two streets, uh -huh. and then you have to walk across the street to. Um, you know, if you want to go to the ferries, you'd have to walk across the street to where the parking lot is and where the ship docks for the ferries are. That's incredible. So it's it's not, <laughs> you know, there and there was no there was no surveillance cameras or right, no. or anything in the bathroom. But the, the, the thing is see. this that even if you heard something, the fact that it's talking about something that happened a couple of months yep. as reference, it would be like, okay. Wow. So that that one was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. uh, now every time I go in there, I'm like, are you gonna talk to me? Are you gonna talk to me? Should like I put that. my? I'm gonna put my phone on, you know, recorder, and you know, nope, yeah, exactly, nothing. So, um, and then the second weird one that I had happen, and both of these actually happened, you know, either because I had the dog, my dog with me, or when I had my dog with me. So the second one. I had gone down to the Mothman Festival and I was spending the weekend at a friend of mine's cabin with him and uh, his family and a group of friends because we were all going back and forth to the Mothman Festival Friday and Saturday. And then um, I was leaving Sunday morning to go hiking at Hocking Hills. So the first night that I stayed there, um, me and several other people stayed upstairs in the cabin had my little dog with me and in the little offshoot room that I was in, I was on one side of the room and then there was another author, another lady um, on the other side of the room. And then in the uh, next alcove was a mother and daughter, uh, an adult mother and daughter. And then in the other alcove was another gentleman. So Friday night, um, we're all hanging out and talking and, you know, he has Bigfoot activity around there. So we're talking about the Bigfoots and stuff like that. And they really never mentioned to me that his cabin was haunted. Holy. So everything goes fine. And I spend the whole next day at Mothman Festival with my dog. And it's 90 degrees. And we're walking around with, you know, her and her stroller. And we do all the Mothman Festival stuff. Going uh -huh. to the museum and going on the bus tour and eating all the food and talking to all the vendors and authors and speakers and everything. So by the time I get back to their house, I'm exhausted. 
So I, I have dinner and drink a couple, you know, of iced teas. And then I go back up to bed. Well, the woman who had been my roommate, so to speak, had gone home <laughs> that night. So it's just me and my dog in that alcove. Oh, boy. Are you so, about to find out about the ghost? So oh my all God. of my, like, you know, my, all of my, um, like my change of clothes and everything and, uh, you know, whatnot is, yes. is in a tote bag sitting in a rocking chair in the middle of the alcove between the two beds. Okay. And on the top of that bag, you know, open tote bag, I had a bottle of ibuprofen because I took a couple before I went to bed. Now, as I was falling asleep, I had my back to the rocking chair. So it was, you know, maybe a, a single size bed, mm -hmm. like a bunk bed, but just, you know, one. So I had my back to the rocking chair and then my little dog was in between me and the wall. And about 3 a.m., I am awoken out of, a, you know, a, a, a good sleep. And I just had this icy chill go through my body. And right about the time that that wave of iciness goes through my body, my little miniature pincher starts growling. Mm. And then we both hear the bottle of ibuprofen start rattling back and forth like somebody's playing with it. Oh, boy. And this went on for a good 15 seconds. And, and as much as I wanted to turn over and see who was messing with my stuff, the fact that my dog could not see over my side and she was growling at it mm -hmm. told me, do not turn over. Right. So it wasn't until it stopped and I waited a good two minutes that I turned over and, and looked and the rocking still was chair, chair was still Nothing was, you know, behind me. And so I, I got up with her and we went down. We used, you know, the restroom, which is, was, you know, down the stairs. And then we came back up and I waited for a few minutes to see if anything else was going to happen. And nothing did. So I got her back to sleep. And then the next morning, the mother and daughter um, had gotten up and I, I just wanted to check and see. I said, oh, um, were you guys feeling okay last night? I heard you get up and were taking your medication or something, but, you know, I didn't want to, uh, to you know, bother you if, if you know, uh, you weren't having any issues. And they said, no, we, we heard something rattling, but it wasn't us. I said, yeah, I think something was playing with my ibuprofen bottle. And little, the, the daughter said, oh, well, didn't they tell you there's a little boy ghost who lives here? And I'm like, <laughs> need to know information, you know, yeah, exactly. uh, you know, before you're falling asleep. You know, that's that's something you should probably warn people about, you know, <laughs> yeah, just in case, you know, random things start happening um, throughout the night. So it wasn't a, a you know, vicious or, or right, you, know, uh, you know, evil spirit, but still that's like, when you wake when, up to that, you're like, um, exactly. and when your yeah. back is to it of all things, mm -hmm. your imagination so, goes wild. Oh yeah. And so, you know, it was, those two things were just like, okay. 
you know. Uh, now, let me tell you, those, those, those are. And you know what's really good is when you have the ghost experience not expecting it. You didn't right. go in there like you said, oh, knowing it's a haunted cabin. And that's how always, for me, that's always how it happens. Even when I'm on paranormal investigations and mm -hmm. I've got like the recorders out and everything, it's when I turn the recorder off to do something. So yes. case in point, I was in Winchester, Indiana last, no, it wasn't this last summer. It was the summer before. And at the um, uh, now, I can't remember the name of it. It's the insane asylum in Winchester, Indiana, Rand okay. Randolph County Asylum. And I normally try to investigate on my own. And we had a pretty big group that night, which wasn't a problem because Randolph County um, is huge. So I was in the basement where the kitchen was, and there was nobody else down there with me. And one of the reports of the kitchen is that the old cook that was, you know, who, who was there, um, she was mentally handicapped. Okay. And, but she was very spiritual. So people have left throughout the years, they've left hymnals and, you know, um, money and stuff like that for her. So I was down there and I was trying to remember the lyrics of a hymnal that I used to always sing that I, I really liked. And so I sang a couple of verses of it and I was like, nope, that's not how it goes. So, and I'm going to spell it out because if I, if I say the word, it's going to activate on my phone or the one behind me. And so I said, G O G G L E. Uh huh. What is the name of this hymnal? And I sang the lyrics. Right. And the response I got back from my cell phone was, you cook pork at 350 degrees for 45 minutes to an hour. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> and I looked and I was like, that, huh? that isn't even close to what I asked. Because I know every once in a while they'll throw stuff at you that you're like, wait. And like but, my phone's usually pretty accurate with answering the questions that I ask it. And I'm like, but wait, I'm in the kitchen and this kitchen is haunted by a, a you know, woman who was the cook. Mm -hmm. She's mentally handicapped. And I'm sure on different occasions she's seen people ask these devices that we hold in our hands questions right. and it responds. And this was right like, you know, I think two days before 4th of July. Okay. So in her mind, she was probably getting ready to cook a big meal sure. for 4th of July, and she couldn't remember how to cook pork. So I'm assuming that she took that opportunity to ask my phone, how do you cook, you know, pork? Right. And it responded to her. So I had to, and of course, I'm not recording what my, you know, I'm actually, I'm expecting my phone to answer my question. Let me ask you something. What, what years was that asylum active? Mm. When you, was it one of those like old ones, like post-Civil War? You know, those. Uh, I think huge... it was, I think it was active up into the 1980s. Oh, really? Okay. It's one of those that was. Because it had, it had, from what we could see, it had modern. Okay, appliances and things. Yeah, well, it had a modern um, bathroom facilities, like, you know, bathtub okay. and showers and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Um, okay. The cells were in pretty good condition. Um, the 
appliances down in the kitchen. They had a walk-in freezer. Um, okay. You know, they had ovens, you know, stuff like that. So most of that, you know, still looked like it was, you know, could just be, you know, turned on, you know, right now right. and used. So I would yeah. say, you know, probably 1980s. Okay. But. So that, that see, <laughs> tell me, tell you something, those, even when you're ghost hunting, sometimes things get thrown at you that you're like, what? I know. And on a totally like different occasion, um, this was, man, I want to say this was at least uh, 10 years ago. Me and my aunt and my cousin had gone to the Monroe County Historical Museum, which used to be General Custard's home. Okay. And we we went in, um, you know, just to walk around and stuff like that, because we also wanted to go to the uh, the battlefield near there, because that was rumored to be haunted, okay. that you would hear cannons going off and you'd see shapes moving across the field. So, you know, we pay the $2.50 admission and we're, we're walking through and looking all, at all the exhibits and we come up to a busk of Abraham Lincoln. And my aunt asked my cousin, who I think she was in her late 20s at the time, um, she said, do you know who that is? And my cousin was looking at it and she, she was like, um, and just as I was about to say, Abraham Lincoln, a very prim and proper voice very assertively said, that's President Abraham Lincoln. Like, And we were like, oh, we're sorry. And we're looking around and we're looking around and we're like, there's nobody else in this room. <laughs> At which point I'm like, bingo, walk up front. And we asked, we, uh-huh. and the woman walking, working, working at the counter we're like we have a question she's like (sighs) and she's like and we're like is this place haunted and she's like yes mrs custard likes to make her presence known and we're like "Uh, yeah we were just and she's like abraham lincoln she's like i heard him i said oh okay she said normally what happens is women will come in Uh and they will go into the restroom it's a multi-stall restroom and as they are washing their hands and getting ready to leave, a woman in period attire is just suddenly there in the room. And, oh, you know, they'll talk to her and, oh, you're, you look so wonderful. And, wow, that's a very nice, you know, um, outfit. And, and she, you know, she indulges them. And, you know, oh, well, uh-huh. yes, this is my finest attire. And, you know, and. And they the, just think well, she's just going, she's just they doing just the think she's a, she, They just think she's a curator or somebody there, a uh-huh. reenactor there at the museum. And so as they go up to the front counter when they're about to leave, they'll say, oh, we just loved meeting that, you know, actress that you had um, who's in period of time. But we couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't find her anywhere else in the museum to talk to her. And the staff will be like, um, that's really not someone we hired. That's just Mrs. Custard. And she shows up whenever she wants to. And so that was, you know, once again, didn't have any recorders out. Didn't Because, you know, we're not expecting anything at the museum. And it was just like, nope. She wanted us to know that that was President Abraham Lincoln. That is, you know what? And that's the thing. Mostly these the people that work at these places, the docents or the whatever, they're the ones that get the best stories because oh, yes. they hear and they see things, especially either before it opens or after it closes down. 
And it's like, okay, the, 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 you know, whoever draws the short straw is the one that gets right. to close this place down. Oh yeah. Because they, uh, they witness a lot of stuff. Yeah. My, my friend and I, um, we did the, um, haunted tour of the Kentucky horse park back in, I want to say it was late October. And the tour, you know, itself was fun and interesting. We knew most of the history of the park because my friend is a racehorse and horse world fanatic um, because she's shown horses and she knows all their stories. But the interesting thing was when we got to the museum part and they were having like the little meet and greet afterwards with fruit and snacks and hearing the caretakers and the docents talk about the actual paranormal history yeah, and the stuff they've experienced there. And the one gentleman was like, Oh, I'll tell you. He's like, I was here one night and I was downstairs working, you know, finishing up one of the exhibits. There was nobody else in the building. He said, and I heard, a toilet flush in the men's bathroom. Hmm. I heard the faucet go on. Uh-huh. Then I heard the the hand dryer go on. Oh, and I'm standing there waiting for somebody to come out of the bathroom for me to say, hey, you know, you could have let me know you were in the building. He's like, and I wait and I wait. So I finally go in and the bathroom is totally empty. The lights are even off. And then he promptly left. Yes. <laughs> And he said they used to they used to have a cleaning crew that they all quit one by one they all quit because what would happen is they would get halfway through their shift and the payphone downstairs would start ringing. Oh, jeez! Oh, so they, they would you know they would answer it and be like, "Hello, who's there?" And there would be nothing. So they would purposely you know leave it off the hanger, uh-huh. and sometimes the phone would start ringing again. I can't imagine. No wonder they quit. They were like, nah. Oh, nah. yeah, yeah. And so they were like, you know, and then there's like, there's an old um, homestead house on the property. And they they do have police that are um, stationed there 24 hours. Because right. when you have animals that are a value of $50,000 sure. or $50 million or, you know, whatever, living there. Yes. Yeah, you have, you know, round the clock police service. And they said that the officers um, just got to the point where they knew that the bu- one of the buildings was haunted and they would go in, they would make their checks, and then that was it. Because what would happen is they would start their shift and the lights in the building would be off. And then at some point in the night, as they were making their rounds, the lights on, it would be on in the building. So they would go in, they would do a full building check, turn off all the lights, lock it back up, leave. And when they would come back within a half an hour, all the lights would be back on. And they're like, okay, we know it's a ghost. Yeah. It's like, what do you want us to do? (laughs) You know, those, and those are the people, usually the ones that are there all the time that it's like, yeah, they they, they can't help it. It's like they, they, they got to witness it no matter what, because they work there. Yep. And I'm like, Oh, I want to stand and talk to these people. And my friend's like, but it's nine thirty at night. I'm like, yeah, but but they're the ones who are going to tell us the, like yes. the, the real paranormal stuff. And so yes. we got to talk to them a little bit, and then the, you know it's like, okay, we'll leave. You know, I I know you guys are tired. You know what? There was um, there's a place down in um, Louisville, 
and it was once upon a time it was called millionaire's row it was like you know where uh, a lot of the uh you know the what they call the the other the new minted uh you know land yep. barons bourbon bear yep. you know bold, but everybody was making money hand over fifth they built their big mansions out there this is one that the uh you know they built a big mansion and a couple of families live there and you know of course you know back then people don't realize people would die at home <laughs> that was like the norm right. <laughs> it's not like now that you know most people die in a hospital back then it was yep normal to die at home so of course and then after for a while it for like 30 or 40 years i want to say it was used as a resting home for unmarried episcopalian women oh okay, okay. And then, of course, afterwards, they became like a museum and they use it for events and stuff. And it's really funny because they were talking about exactly like, you know, the ghost stories and uh -huh. happenings and people running and seeing things like at events. You know, they've had weddings and people will see somebody upstairs or they'll go into the, what was the billiards room. They'll smell some cigar smoke. But, you know, what's really funny is that everybody always looks at the two original families, the you know, that were well off, that built it mm -hmm. and lived there for. And it's like, no, a lot of the stuff, believe it or not, comes from those very episcopalian ladies yep. that lived and died there nobody wants to think but you know just because they were old and episcopalian and never got married you never know what drama they had in their lives um as far as being the source of the right. different hauntings that they've going on there you know because I, I don't know if it's because people tend to think oh well you know the the guy that was rich and his family and is like no you know those ladies you know who right. knows what was went right. on with them yeah, you know, because they were going there, and it was funny because I had never seen it. They had, Episcopalian had to be unmarried, and this was like you know a resting home, I guess, if you didn't have family or any place that you could go to. And I was like, man, who knows what mischief they got up to or had got <laughs> up to by the time they ended up there, and now they're re, you know they're 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 haunting the place. But yeah, sometimes you have the usual suspects, and sometimes it's right. who you least expect is the source of whatever is causing whatever. You know, that's, it's, it's, it's a toss up. Sometimes, you know, you can't always, especially in these historical places, you know how they have this family oh, yeah. or this history that, that, that's, that's what it is. Well, there was, um, so, um, not this past June, but June, um, 2021, I did a road trip, um, through Gettysburg, Maryland, mm -hmm. New York, Vermont, um, because I was going to uh, Lake Champlain to investigate for Champ. But a friend of mine who I had interviewed for my magazines and for my podcast, and I had been on his podcast, uh, co-owned the, or and he still does, the um, uh, the Hoover House in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania, which okay. is haunted. Okay. And so they gifted me a, I believe it was a three-night stay while I was there in uh, Gettysburg um, doing different, you know, uh, tours and stuff like that for my magazines. And so the first night that I was there, I had gone and met my friends in Gettysburg, had dinner. We walked around town a bit, and then I went back. And as it would happen, um, they were filming something for a documentary uh, in the house, so I just okay. went up to my room and I had my three little dogs with me. We took the service elevator up. And so my friend starts texting me wanting to set up, you know, for the next day. So I make sure my dogs are, you know, comfortable because um, they had to stay either in their stroller or their crate. 
which I understand it's a bed and breakfast and I wasn't going to let them run around and trash the place. So they were very well behaved in their, their, you know, stroller in their crate. And the room that I went, went in and was staying in had this um, closet that I guess that a lot of people do EVP work in. So I had put my recorder, my little sound recorder in the closet with it open. And then I was sitting on the bed texting my friend. Now I had put my, my um, equipment case for my paranormal gear on the little side table right across from me. And it was on a little surface. So as I'm sitting there texting with my friend out of the corner of my eye, I see that my equipment case is being pushed forward to the edge of the table. And I was not in the mood to put up with this crap right then because I, I was trying to be quiet because they're filming downstairs and my friend keeps texting me. And just as the case is about to come flying off of the edge of the table, I put my hand up against it and I stopped it and I said, knock your shit off right now. I'm not in the mood for this crap. And so I, and then I pushed, you know, the case all the way back to the, the back of the table. Okay. And then it, it, you know, was quiet. So I left the EVP, you know, or the, the recorder going all night. And okay. before I left in the morning, I grabbed it and turned it off so that it stopped the recording and saved it as a file. Got the dogs ready, got myself ready because we were doing the whole day in Gettysburg. And it was about 8 a.m. And because it was a bed and breakfast, they said, oh, well, we serve breakfast. So as I'm taking the service elevator down and I come out into the hallway that goes immediately into the kitchen, I can hear what I think is everybody in the um, dinner area, the bar area, talking and everything like that. So I'm like, okay, I'll come back in and grab something to eat, but I'm going to take the dogs outside, potty them first and feed them, water them. So I do that. And I heard voices, I heard dishes, I heard, you know, activity going on in that room. And it didn't occur to me as I walked through the the um, industrial kitchen right. that I didn't smell any food or anything. Nobody was in the kitchen. So I take <laughs> oh. the dogs out. I do, you know, get them all set up. And uh, luckily my truck is a, is a F-250 truck, which has a huge back seat. But uh-huh. it also has a has an outside locking keypad. So turned on the truck, made sure they had AC while they're eating their breakfast. You know, I'm only going to be ten minutes in the in there. Lock the doors from the outside. Walk back into the kitchen. I can still have hear activity, and I go walking through the double doors, expecting to see everybody in there. And I'm like, "Hi guys, I'm getting you know I'm uh, on my way out, but you know I wanted to say hi." Dead silence. There's not a person in the There's nobody else in the house. And I'm like, oh. How did this happen? I'm like, and then then the realization hits to me, I don't smell any food cooked. And so I actually did, you know, I I explored floor by floor for like 10 minutes. Nobody else was in the house. And I'm like, well, crap. 
So I leave, we go, we go do the Gettysburg stuff. I come back that night. I do a podcast with them. The next day we go to Maryland and then I come back and they're like, Oh, um, we want to do a table tipping sub, uh, session with you. I'm like, great. But can I take a bath first? Because I smell like Chesapeake Bay. They're like, Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. They're like, well, we're going to go do an investigation. You get, you know, you get cleaned up and everything. And then when we come back, so we do this hour long table t- tipping session afterwards. And okay. these tables were not light. They were, they weighed about 30 pounds and there was four of us sitting around and I had my fingers underneath the table, you okay. know, because you're supposed to lightly put your fingers underneath the table and the, t- the table will rock when it, you know, and it was answering our questions and it was responding to us and it wasn't the guys doing it. Did anybody else have their own experiences or was it just you? They have activity there all the time. And so my, my last night there, I was telling them all the things that I had experienced and they're like, well, when did that happen? I'm like, well, last night or, you know, yesterday morning. And they're like, they're like, man, you know, there's this stuff, stuff is active there all year round. So but But that's incredible that you just that you're thinking see that's the thing that when you witness it you're not thinking paranormal you're just thinking right but i did know that so the past history of the of the building was it had been a family home that was turned into a convalescent home and Uh then turned into a restaurant Uh and then the restaurant didn't do very well so they closed it and then my friend and his business partners bought it and turned it into a bed and breakfast, and now it's a haunted bed and breakfast. And they run paranormal tours um, out of there and paranormal walks out of there. And it's like the perfect vocation for them. But I'm like, you guys hit the nail on the head with that because it is haunted, and yeah. you're going to get activity if you stay there for two nights. You will definitely have something happen. Something's gonna you're happen. Like, you're like, what's going on? You know? Yeah. And, <laughs> and so then, I so, remember one time I this was. Um, I was going cross country. I was taking something to my son who was stationed in California and a friend of mine flew in from California so she could drive with me and she was going to fly back, you know, you know, like what I would just fly back to Florida. And I stayed at this place, which, you know, a lot of these, uh, it it was uh, in this uh, old town called Monticello in Northern Florida. It's one of these towns that has a lot of Victorian style houses. Okay. One of these, it ended up, uh, you know, where people make it into like a bed and breakfast. But yep. and we were coming in late, and they didn't even have anybody. Said we'll leave you the key, go in. Once upon a time, though, it it did serve as, as a funeral home because oh, you know, everybody thinks of funeral homes as being, um, you know, your typical funeral home. But you know, sometimes people would live in the actual. Yep. They were the funeral director, but they would yep. live at the funeral home kind of thing. But that, that didn't even, and I remember my friend, we were the only ones, the only ones staying in there, the only ones. And I mean, we rolled in late, so we were like exhausted. And, you know, she took one bedroom, I took the other, was like, whatever. And they said, we'll send a girl in the morning and she'll cook breakfast for you, whatever you want. There was nobody there. And I remember it was morning, it was out. And I heard a man say, Marlene, that I sat up in bed. Like, I heard it clearly, Marlene, because you know when you're asleep at night, uh-huh. you're already like, oh, I'm all right. that I just sat up because to me it was like, in that moment, it was like, who is that? 
Right, right. I'm thinking, it didn't sound like my friend, but so I go looking for her. She's outside smoking. <laughs> you know, it wasn't even that, that you could say, well, you know, maybe she called me and, right, right. hey, you guys, cool it. Can you tell that, you know, that you could hear the, it was like right in the same room as me. It was a big room, but that you could hear it. Right. And that was, and that was the only thing I experienced there. I mean, after what we had to leave is we had to keep on going in the road, but it's sometimes it's stuff like that, that it's like, and it, whatever it is, knew my name because it said my name very clearly. And it was like, okay. Uh, when I went downstairs, I'm like, hey, I'm like, hey, so-and-so, so-and-so. And I'm going and finally I find her outside. They had this like this little garden and she's out there smoking. And I was like, did you worry? She goes, no, I've been sitting out here. I'm just smoking. I'm waiting for the girl to come and make us breakfast. And I'm like, you're not going to believe it. But I just heard a man call my name and she's like, oh, <laughs> she's, but yeah. And that was, by the way, that was broad daylight. That was in the morning. Right. It was full morning. Nothing had happened. And I want to tell you another story about Gettysburg. There's a little hotel, motel. I'm not even going to call it a hotel. It's a motel. It's a one-story motel. And it's right across the street from the Union Cemetery. Because you okay. know that over there in Gettysburg, they do have a Union Cemetery. Yes. The motel's been around for a while, but it's it's a very simple one-story motel kind of deal. What is it? The triple? Wait, let me, I'm, not, I'm making up names. Let me not do that. But anyway. We were staying there and we rolled into Gettysburg late at night. One of those deals where you just like got there, mm -hmm. check in, and it's your typical motel room. You, you've got your bed, your vanity area, and then the bathroom door. Mm -hmm. And my boyfriend, he was a cop, a no-nonsense cop. Well, he pretended he was a no-nonsense cop. So, okay. we're. I mean, we were tired. It was like, yeah, we were going to. Yep. And that night, I have this really weird dream that I see what looks like modern day, like, um, you know, one of the people that, that clean your room. Okay. Uh, that pushing those little, uh, yep. carts with all this stuff. I have this dream where she comes out of like a cloud. She, she has something. My, my name is Maria. And then she looks like, she's looking at me and she goes, Oh, you like, you know, they're checking you out. It was like such a weird dream, but it was, I could tell this is like, Oh, the next morning he's, I'm getting the stink eye from my boyfriend. And he's like, I don't understand. Didn't you hear that toilet flushing all night long? And I was like, what? I was like, no. He goes, you slept through that. And he's like all mad because he's the one that's witnessing. He says he didn't even dare go in there. I mean, the toilet, the, the bathroom was right there. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't wake up. I, I was tired. I was just having right. this really weird dream. And he's all upset because he's here, this toilet flushing, and he's not about to get up and find out what's causing the. <laughs> so the next morning, of course, I go, go ask him. So he off he goes. As a matter of fact, it was really funny because this room was right next to the office. You know, when you pull into these motels, that the office is right there at the entrance. So off he goes, and he comes back. Because you're not going to believe it. And I go, let here, let's hear it. And he goes, they told us this is one of the most haunted rooms in the motel. I said, I want you to go back and ask them if one of the ghosts is a cleaning lady. And he looked at me. and He goes, what? I said, go out and ask him. And off he goes. He comes back and he goes, how did you know? How did you know? I said, yeah, because I saw this in a dream, whatever, you know, paranormal, yeah. whatever. She was checking me out or yes out. Mm -hmm. And I guess she was flushing the toilet while she was here. 
and he was just like all upset, like, you didn't wake up. You're supposed to be the paranormal investigator, and I'm the one listening to the toilet flushing. But yeah, sometimes you have this weird paranormal encounters. And the, my point being that everybody goes to Gettysburg mm-hmm. thinking they're going to have the, the sightings of a soldier yep. or something from the Civil War era. And sometimes things show up that have nothing whatsoever to do with like with what you expect. Right. You know, as far as a paranormal experience. But yeah, Shatana, it has been absolutely wonderful to talk to you. I've enjoyed it so much. Oh, you're you welcome. Have... I love being on the show. Um, that was great. Are you fun. planning any books or anything? Anything that you're working so on? I, I produce five magazines um, oh, quarterly. Okay. So um, <laughs> I, I concentrate on those. Um, okay. I keep on saying I'm going to do a couple more books, but honestly, I write so much with the magazines. It's time consuming. Um, that, yes. that, takes, that is my full time job. Um, I believe it. And I'm also, you know, I do presentations at Paracons, libraries, museums. I do podcast mm-hmm. interviews. So um, pretty much my, my yes. hobby is my career. And um, yeah. I love it. So, but my magazines are Squatch GQ magazine, mm-hmm. Cryptozoology Digest. Okay. Into the Liminal Abyss Paranormal Magazine, which covers paranormal, ufology, um, high strangeness, weird travels, all that good stuff. Then Dinosauria and Prehistoric Creatures Magazine. And the newest one is Rock, Hound, and Prospector Magazine. So those are all available on Amazon as individual purchases, either printed copies or uh, Kindle. Okay. Um, e-reader version. Um Depending on what Paracon or event I'm at, um, it's hit or miss what stock I have with me. Because, because those Paracons were put on hold during COVID and they're coming yeah. back now. Yes. Yeah. So now I'm, um, I usually try to carry all the titles with me, but the more magazines I produce, the harder it is to, you know, carry sure. you know, all of them. So I usually just stick to the real popular ones, um, you know, that sell out really fast. So, but people can find them on Amazon. All you have to do is type in Squatch GQ magazine, and that will bring up all of the magazines that I just mentioned. If you want my books, um, because I have the cryptozoology books, I have field research journals, which are just blank journals with information structures where you can put in different information if you're doing field investigations. And I also have some um, uh, pagan books on there about hoodoo magic. Um, You know, if anybody's interested in folk magic or hoodoo magic, I do have some very nice um, uh, easy read books in there. Um, So for those, you just type in my name, Shatan Noir, and that will bring up the books. That's been absolutely great to talk to you. Good luck on all your projects. My God, well, you're you. a one busy lady. Oh. I try to be. I, I try to keep myself busy because, you know, it's uh, it's what keeps me going. Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure to have you on. And I hope you're going to come back so we can talk some more. Oh, I would love to come back on your show at any time. So just whenever you want, just let me know. Thank you so much. We'll Take care. Up. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow. See, another guest that I could spend hours and hours talking to because, yeah, one after my own heart, she, man, she's busy. 
and yeah, check out those magazines and uh, Amazon or, you know, you can look her at Chaton Noir. You know, I, I'm going to have a links to her website on the credits of the show, but for the podcast listeners, if you want to find, you know, uh, as far as, you know, what's happening in those different fields, you know, everybody has sometimes their favorites and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, let me tell you something. And she looks like she does a lot of the investigations firsthand, which is great. And, um, you know, again, you know, like I've mentioned before, um, life goes on. There's like, we were talking about, you know, we went through two years of COVID and all the crazy stuff that goes on in the world, but you always got to leave a little part of your, I don't know if you want to call it your entertainment or your time or whatever for stuff that's outside of all this turbulent stuff. You know, if you want to call it the real world, even though this is the real world also, Okay, because life goes on. All these things still go on. They don't pause, even though, I guess in the, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe in the scheme of things, other news on the world theater seems more important or more pressing. Um, I'm not trying to be dismissive of that, but I think that all of us need to take a time off. If, you know, if you're one of these people sometimes that's very much into following the news, 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 what I'm talking about, it's like, you know, you, you need to shove that for a little while because I think if not, you kind of go crazy and delve into this, whether you're a true believer or you just find it entertaining or funny or just like, oh, those people are kooky. You know, you need to put that aside, uh, I think, to keep a perspective on life because they're, all of all of the different facets of life still go on. You know, they still go on um, regardless of what things want to say. You know, sometimes we, we uh, what they call fear porn, uh, where, you know, everything that, you know, if you take it in, everything is so apocalyptic. Dare I use that word? And I'm not going to say things are not serious, but if you go back through history, there's been times where, the news or what's coming seems apocalyptic and the life, you know, whatever, whatever. And it passes its handled yet. People wig out a little bit. Sometimes bad things happen. I'm not saying it doesn't, but here we are 2023. Like I said, for those of us who are old enough to have lived through Y2K. All right. Y2K. Oh, if you were an adult, you know, you were, you know, you went from the people that were like, Oh, you know, maybe the computers will go down to the, it was like the end of society as we know it, the computers are going to crash, the economy was going to crash because everything with the computers was going to crash and nothing was going to work and planes couldn't fly and it was the end of the, you know, that's it, life as you knew it. And, we're, and nothing happened. All right. As a matter of fact, I really, I personally think that when we had the 9-11 attacks, that's really what put us into the 21st century as far as events that drastically changed life, especially here in the United States, was the the terrorist attack on 9-11, which I, I was at work. <laughs> I was at work. And I remember uh, we used to have, I used to, um, you know, work in a booth in a cubicle. And the girl... That sat on the cubicle across from me. In other words, that we shared a wall. 
she always used to have her little radio on and she would play her stuff. All of a sudden she pops her head up over the thing. She goes, Marlene, listen to this. I was like, what, what? And this was, remember, this was early in the morning when they had the first thing. What was it? Was it the Pentagon? I can't remember. And she goes, listen to this, listen to this. And they had interrupted her radio. She, she was listening. She had like a pulp, pop, pop music, you know, radio station. And they're talking about, we've had, we've had these re, reports of attacks and, and you see everybody like pulling, putting their heads up because, you know, of course there's people out there that were listening, you know, had stuff going on. And it was like so eerie because in that moment, nobody knew what was happening. Nobody knew what was happening. And all the phone lines, if any, most of the, they were so jammed that you couldn't get a call out. All right. Uh, I had two, two kids in high school that I couldn't get a hold of. I couldn't get a hold of anybody to find out. And <laughs> my supervisor, he was so ignored. He was an ex-military guy. And I went up to him and I'm like, oh, and he goes, you need to go back to your booth and sit down, Marlene. And I was like, I was, I was I'm not kidding you. I was ready to, to grab my purse and run out the front door because I was thinking of my kids. You know, remember I lived in South Florida, Miami, and all this stuff was happening in the Northeast, New York, you know, Pennsylvania, stuff like that. But it was like, at that moment, you didn't know what is going on, what is going on. And it took all my willpower to do that, to go back and sit down. But I was like, any minute, I'm going to bolt out the front door and I don't care if I get fired. Okay. Uh, and, and looking back, I realized he was so wigged out. He didn't know. He was like, he was, this was the, he was falling back on what to do. And then of course, in about a couple of hours, they said, they told us, go home, just go home, go home, you know, and my point being that even that event at that moment, it was so momentous. And, and, you know, of course, later on, everything became more known and it was explained and whatever, you know, but I remember, you know, I got a hold of my kids and my mom and I dragged everybody to the house. And I remember, you know, watching the, the, the news and seeing, you know, the Twin Towers. And remember at that point, you know, for anybody that was not a kid, it was like, okay, is more going to come? You know, did they, this happen today? Is more? Is there going to be more attacks? You know, it was a very uncertain time. And I want to say that, that 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 event, like, changed everything radically. My point being that um, we have now, 20 years later, another Verse, you know, version of fear porn. Some of it is substantiated, some of it is unsubstantiated, and very little of it will come to pass. But sometimes we need to put that on the back shelf and listen to stories of the supernatural or things like it, or read a magazine like what Chitanoir produces, okay, to kind of, I don't want to say distract us, bury your head in the sand is not a good idea either, but it's like, okay, there's other things in life be besides this doom and gloom, end of the world, end of everything as we know it, okay? There is an alternative. There is still things in life that are good. And if, how can I say it? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into metaphysical land. I truly believe that when you get a bunch of humans 
that start in going into that fear level, you kind of manifest it. You know how they say, basically, you manifest what you concentrate on, what you fear the most, and there it is. You know, you ask for it, here it is. That sometimes I believe that we do need, whether it's on a personal level or on a collective we level, we need to unfocus from all these uh, uh, worst case scenario outcomes for us, for the country, for the world, humanity, nature. We've got to like step back from this because it's almost going to be like a self-fulfilling prophecy where we're going to produce as a collective, you know, even it's fear driven, you know, which is the worst, by the way, that all of a sudden we will manifest, we will make it happen because we think about it so much. And I hate to say it. And I know that a lot of, you know, the media out there, sometimes some irresponsible ones, they put stuff out there that, um, and let's face it, you know, that, that, uh, that old saying, uh, you know, when newspapers were more, you know, if it bleeds, it leads that, you know, human beings are more attracted by the, how can I say it? The, <clears throat> the stuff that's violent or stuff like that, you know, we were instantly attracted to it. But in this case, um, I remember I, I used to know someone, I'm not going to say his name. And he told me, he goes, he goes, there was a time when I was a young guy, like he was either a teenager, early twenties. And he told me, I started doing this thing where I started ambulance chasing. I would go to all these, um, every time I would see an ambulance, you know, like a bad accident, I would just go over there and do the, you know, it wasn't just like if I ran it, you know, if it was in my, he was basically like, you know, he could have sold the personal injury attorney services, but he wasn't. He says, I got hooked on going to all these uh, accident scenes, you know, and even the bad ones. And he says, and then all of a sudden it started wigging out. It started really affecting me. He goes, I don't know at what point it's, I realized that I was being really badly affected by doing this, by seeing this stuff, which by the way, it speaks highly of first responders who have to deal with it all the time. And he said he had to step away from it. He had to step away from it because it was like, all of a sudden it wasn't like, okay, you went there and you looked at it and then you drove away. And then that's the end of that. And maybe he could do that at the beginning, but he said, yeah, no, he says, I, I, I went to, I ended up going to a few of these accident scenes where there was a fatality. And he goes, and there was one point that I realized I got to stop doing this, man. I'm, I'm like, it's starting to really badly affect me. My point being that as human beings, we kind of like do that. You know, sometimes we're very attracted to <clears throat> what seems horrific. <clears throat> you know how they say the automobile scene that you, you're repelled, but you can't help but look at it. And, but when we're fed that all the time, all of a sudden it's like, oh, there it is. So getting back to the original, original point, take time off and spend some time with me and we'll talk about weird stuff. And I've got a lot of great guests coming on. So don't forget, you can uh, sign up for my Substack newsletter on mppellister.com. Uh, the podcast versions are everywhere. Okay. Uh, whether it's iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Spotify, you name it, you can find me, whether it's Stories of the Supernatural, Nightshade Diary, Supernatural Storytime, I have Eerie News, or MP Pellicer. Again, guys, you are all wonderful, and thank you so much for spending this time with me. Take care. Until next time. <laughs>